You're listening to a sermon delivered at First Family Church in Ankeny, Iowa, from the series, Doctrine That Goes the Distance. For more information and sermons, visit our website at firstfamily.church. As I mentioned, my name is Travis Walker. I'm the youth pastor here. It's a privilege of mine to have the opportunity to speak to you guys again. We are in a series on doctrine, and I have the privilege of continuing that series. Last week, Pastor Todd had you in the book of Acts chapter 1, so I'll ask you to open up your Bibles again, be prepared to read and to listen to Acts chapter 2. Today we are going to look at a different doctrine. Last week we looked at pneumatology, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Today we'll be in the doctrine of ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church. Can you say that with me? Ecclesiology? Ecclesiology. There you go comes from the Greek word for the church, and we'll define that and look at that in just a second. But as you're opening up your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, where we see Pentecost happening and the church is established, I want to talk real quick about doctrine, just a great reminder on the importance of doctrine. I hope you guys have been enjoying this series, and I hope that you have grown in your knowledge and love of doctrine. But I want to remind you of two warnings. Every time we study doctrine and look at doctrine, I think there's two uh, possibilities or potential uh, warnings that I want to remind us of. Number one, the danger of having zeal or passion for God without knowledge. That's definitely a possibility. It is possible to love something you don't know. To be excited and passionate and fervent about something yet lack knowledge. Romans 10 tells us that it's possible, and he points to the church in Rome, that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And he condemns them for that and reminds them of how important doctrine is and theology is. It's so important for you to know what you believe and why you believe it. And that should transform and inform your worship. So doctrine always leads to doxology. And love of God always produces a desire to know him and want to know him more. John Calvin says, zeal without doctrine is like a sword in the hand of a lunatic. And I think that can be so true of our churches. And that sounds like a quote right out of our newspapers lately. Zeal without doctrine is like a sword in the hand of a lunatic. Warning number two is that it is possible to have knowledge without love. Isn't that possible? It's possible to be smart or intellectual, but not allow it to impact your heart. Not allow it to transform you or change you into the type of person who puts it into practice. It's possible to love a topic just for the sake of looking smart. Have you ever done that? Studied up on something, got familiar with something, wanted to be an expert in something just for the sake of being an expert in that field or looking smart? That can happen with doctrine. It is possible to go through this series on doctrine and just feel good about yourself. To think you know more. Maybe there's somebody, a coworker of yours that you like to debate with or discuss religion about. And you study it just for that aspect, just to win or to fight or to argue. And it's possible to love theology, but not love the God of the theology. And so you've got these two road, you know, ditches. And it's possible to fall into either one of them. A zeal without knowledge or knowledge without love. And that's a big warning for us. And I think that's exactly where our doctrine today is going, ecclesiology. 
So we must be careful of both pitfalls. This is exactly what today's topic will address. What does it look like when knowledge and love collide? Knowledge of God and love for God collide. I'd like to submit to you that the answer to that question of what does it look like when knowledge and love collide, the answer to that question is the church. Those two things come to play. They intersect exactly what's happening right now. That's the church. It's you. This place where doctrine is taught and love for each other happens. Those two collide in the church. We'll be looking at the doctrine of the church, ecclesiology. And this is why the doctrine of the church is so important because of this topic. Because it's the church where the doctrine of God and the love for God come together. That's what we've just done. We're learning theology, we're studying the Bible, and we're also praising and worshiping him. Those two are colliding right now in this hour and a half. It's the church where the greatest commandments collide. You ever think about that? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those two are happening. Those two are colliding today as you mingle and interact. Even in our children's ministry right now with the many volunteers that are back there loving your children. Those two, the greatest commandments, are colliding today. And it's so beautiful that that all happens at the church. And it's the church where we educate you on the doctrine of God and also where you demonstrate your love for others. I hope when you come to church, I hope you look forward to the opportunities to mingle and to talk and to share a cup of coffee and to, talk and to spend time with one another. I hope you understand how important we view our lighthouses, that church isn't just an hour and a half event, that it's living life together. And I hope you value that and cherish that. You understand that a church is living life together. It's a family coming together. And that's where those two collide. All that to say is the church is awesome. It's amazing. It's a gift to us. It's such a blessing from God that we get to experience and and learn more about him and also worship him at the same time. I love the church. For the last 12 or 13 years, I've had opportunities to work in the church, and I'm so grateful for that, that God has called me to serve him inside the church And I've been at this church for over three years now, and I'm so grateful to be here, to be on staff here and to get to know you, my family, and to spend time with your kids and to point them to Christ. It is a true blessing and privilege of mine. And I hope you view it that way. I hope you love the church. I hope you know your desperation for the church, how much the body means to you, and how this is your not just peers, but people who love you and care for you. I hope that's true of your church experience. The church is awesome. The church is amazing. But sadly today, the church is struggling here in the U.S. As of this year, for the first time ever in the history of the United States, you are the minority. Do you know that? Those of you who have set aside a Sunday morning to go to church... As of this year, according to some some statistics, you are odd. I think that's amazing. George Barna, he's a uh, statistician guy. Um, He says this, the number of churchless Americans, people who say, I don't go to church. That, That is the churchless. I don't go to church. I want nothing to do with the church. That's not me. 
the number of churchless Americans has jumped by nearly one-third in just 20 years. Let me help you with that make sense a little bit. He says this, in the early 1990s, about two out of every 10 U.S. adults were churchless. Two out of 10, so 80% went to church. They said they went to church. They were church people. In the early 2000s, it was three out of 10. So still 70% of people went to church, or at least said they went to church in the early 2000s. So let me describe it this way. So if I were to send you right now, downtown Ankeneer, to the play ball fields right now, and said, hey, I got a challenge for you. Go find somebody who goes to church. If that was 1990, you would, that would be the easiest task in the world. You could just bump into any stranger, any random person at the parks and say, hey, are you a churchgoer? And they'd say, yeah, yeah, 80%, right? 1990, 80%. In early, early 2000s, that would have still been very easy. 70%. Yeah, I go to church. I'm a church person. Today, the churchless make up nearly half the adult population. 49% of adults today claim to go to church. So the majority don't. So if you were today, if I were to send you, hey, I got a challenge for you. Go to the ball fields in Ankeny and go ask somebody, just downtown Ankeny, go find a stranger and ask them, hey, do you go to the church? It would be more likely that you'd find somebody that says, no, I'm not a church person. I don't go to church. Than it would if you'd find somebody that says, yeah, I'm a church person. I go to church. Isn't that crazy? How quickly that has changed? George Barna says this, not too many years ago, church attendance, and basic Bible literacy were the cultural norm. Being a Christian didn't feel like swimming against the cultural current, but now churchless confirms that the world has indeed altered in significant ways during the last few decades. It's not just your imagination. Real data confirm how drastically the moral, social, and spiritual lives of of Americans have changed and are changing. So for the, those of you that are older than 27, do you feel that? Do you feel like the cultural climate, even in the city of Ankeny, has changed? Where it came from a place in the early 90, 1990s, where people were church people? Not today, they're not. Do you feel that? It's not your imagination. It's statistics. So today, the church is in a tough place. It's in a rough point. And I think the reason is because of weak ecclesiology. Even amongst the church, even amongst Christians, there's a weak understanding of what is the church and its importance. Today, I think for the first time ever, Christians, even Christians, are asking themselves these questions. Let me read a few to you. Number one, Christians are asking themselves these questions. Why should I go to church? Can't I just have a relationship with God on my own? This is the, I I do church in my car with worship music playing mindset. I'm good. My podcast app is filled with great preachers. I can do church whenever I want. Why Why should I go to church? Christians are asking themselves that question. Number two, Christians are asking themselves, is church fun? Is church cool? And if it's not fun or cool, I'm probably not going to go. I can't find a church that fits my wants and my needs. This is the church is about me mindset. And if I can't find a church that's also about me, I'm not going to go. 
And many, sadly, many churches cave to this mindset and try to please those people who will never be pleased because we can't make church cool enough or fun enough, right? You know that. We can't win that fight. We can't cave enough so that they'll think church is so cool they've got to come. We can't win that battle. I think the last question Christians are asking themselves is, churches have problems. Isn't it easier just to stay away? I mean, for real, churches are filled with sinners. Why do I want to go there? Now, if I could find a perfect church, you know, a church with no sinners, well, then I would go to that church. That would be interesting. Christians are sinners, so I'm just staying away mindset. If you go in any church, guess what you'll bump into? Sinners, I'm not going. I think there's that question, those questions are being asked. And all of that comes from a lack of ecclesiology. The moment we fail to understand what the church is and why it's significant and why it's important, of course you'll walk away from it. Because we know that. As doctrine lends itself to practice. So what you believe determines how you act. And if your understanding of the church washes away, of course you're going to walk away. That just makes sense. But if we truly understand what the church is, how important it is, how significant it is, and how much I desperately need it, then of course you wouldn't walk away from it. You would cling to it. You'd run to it. You'd dive deeper into it because of its importance. So that's my goal today. Today, the church is in a critical place of weak ecclesiology, even among Christians. Christians are forgetting or ignoring why God gave us the church. And therefore, we're running away from it instead of understanding their desperate need for it. So my goal today is twofold. Number one, to remind us what the church is and why we desperately need it. Man, I hope I can do that. And number two, what the church does and why it's worth devoting our lives to. So what it is, and once you see what it is, you'll say, man, I need that. Yeah, that's exactly what I need. And number two, what it does, and and then I want you to say, I'm on board. I'll do that. I'll I'll row that boat. I'll jump on that ship. I want to be a part of that. That's exciting. That's awesome. I'm going to be a part of that. So that's our goal today. So number one, let's start with the first question or task, what the church is. The ecclesiology, we don't use that term. It's a Greek word, which means the called out assembly. It's kind of an odd phrase. The called out assembly, right? Let me just explain that real quick. So take like the city of Ankeny, a mass, a large population. There's a group of them that are called out or elected and they gather. That's literally what the word church means. A called out, some that are called out, and they gather together. I think my favorite title of the church comes from First, First Peter chapter 1, where it says, you are elect exiles. It's the exact same understanding. That seems like an oxymoron, right? Elect exiles. Okay, so exiles are people who are kicked out, and elect means to be included, to be called in. Yeah, that's exactly what the church is. You are elect exiles. You're foreigners, you're strangers, you're aliens in this world that you live in. You're not the norm. You're odd. Yet God calls you together and gathers you together and says, worship me. Be about me and my mission. 
Do you ever feel like that as a Christian in your community? I feel like an exile. But you're an elect exile, a loved exile. Somebody who doesn't fit in, a stranger, yet loved and told to gather together. That's what the church is. So what is the church? What's the big picture? Why is the church so important that I shouldn't abandon it and run from it? Well, it's threefold. I want to walk you through three reasons the church, what the church is and why it's so important. Number one, the church's plan, or God's plan unfolding. What is the church? It's God's plan unfolding. I want to remind you of this. Church is not a man-made invention. Church is not a non-profit organization. Church is not something we came up with or designed. It wasn't a group of men that thought, how can we uh, get this thing working? How can we put this off? And No, it's something God commanded us to be. It's God's perfect plan unfolding. That's what the church is. In the church, we see how God's promise to Abraham all the way back in Genesis is coming true. God told Abraham, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a blessing to all the nations of the world. And then as you walk through your Bible and you read the narrative, you start to see it. And then all of a sudden you come to Acts chapter 2 and the gospel comes, the Holy Spirit comes and he sends them to the corners of the world. And all of a sudden you start to see, oh, remember that promise to Abraham? That he would be a blessing to all nations. It's happening as persecution comes to Jerusalem and all the disciples are cast out. They're exiled for God's specific purpose so that the gospel would go to the edge of the world. The church is exactly what God planned from the beginning. It's not plan B. Nothing failed so that God had to establish his church. This has been the plan ever since. Church is beautiful. In Acts chapter 2, it's the account of God establishing the church and sending the church to all the world. In this account, you don't see 12 men dreaming up their next money-making scheme or even trying to design a good nonprofit organization. No, instead what you see is God giving orders and gifts to all the individuals so that what he desires to happen happens, including the persecution that they would face. That was all a part of his plan so that the gospel and the church would be spread to the edges of the world. It's all God's plan unfolding. So don't view this as something some man dreamed up with and decided to institute so that he could draw a crowd. This is God's plan for you. It's exactly what he knew you needed and what he wanted to do for his glory. First Peter chapter two says this, but you speaking to the church, you are a chosen race that has that elect exile wording in it, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. That's that called out assembly called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's what the church is. It's God's plan unfolding right before your eyes. It's his mission. It's his purpose unfolding. It's church is really good news. Don't you want to be a part of that? Isn't that exciting? Absolutely. Number two, what is the church? It's God's love outpouring. 
The church is not a moral obligation that gets God off your back. It's not, well, I attended church on Sunday, so I'll probably have a pretty good week, right? God will probably allow things to go pretty good this week. I did, I scratched his back, he'll scratch mine now. It's not you earning brownie points with him. The church isn't a barter system with God. It's not God saying, you know what, I'll make a deal with you. I'll let you into heaven. All you got to do is attend church every once in a while. That would really be great. You kind of pat my stats, I'll pat your stats. You know, that's how this will work. No, it's not that. God didn't make, create a barter system and church is the answer to that. Church is a gift to us. God loves us so much that he gave us the church. Instead, the church is a gift to you from your heavenly father. The church is God giving you exactly what you need to grow spiritually and to live on mission for him. Think of that phrase, elect exiles for a second. You're an exile. That's what he calls you. You're an exile. You don't fit. This world looks at you oddly. What do you think is the greatest comfort for an exile or a refugee? That's what you are. That's what he calls you. What do you think is the greatest comfort for an exile refugee? No doubt it would be for an exile to find a community of people who love and accept them, right? And that's exactly what the church is. Ankeny's filled with exiles who need to come together to have community and fellowship and a purpose and a plan and a worship to worship something greater than them. That's what the church is. They need to find that community. Why would anyone ignore that gift? When you see the church is not a moral obligation, but a gift, a love gift from their father, that changes the importance on church. Man, what's happening right here is a gift from your father to you. He loves you so much that he established the local church in your town that speaks your language, that presents the the gospel in your language, gives you an opportunity to worship him all for your benefit and his glory. Man, that's awesome. What a privilege. God's love outpouring. Church is not a moral obligation. Instead, the church is a gift. Acts chapter 2 reads this way. If you have your Bibles, you're in Acts chapter 2. Look at the last paragraph there. Verses 42 through 47. I want to read it for you. It says this, Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple, together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So did you read that paragraph and hear, man, moral obligation. I'm going to put up these weird buildings and you better attend once a week. And if you don't attend once a week, oh boy, you're going to get a whooping. No, you don't hear that. You hear, man, these Christians who just heard the gospel and heard that that they've been forgiven and saved, all of a sudden they realize there's a lot like them and others that believe the same thing. And what do we need? We need each other. 
We got to rally around each other. We need to praise God together. We're stronger together. We can come together and uh, encourage one another, support one another. You got needs. I've got stuff. Let's have a garage sale. Let's meet each other's needs. All of a sudden, this is a community, and it's a huge blessing and benefit to all. This was good news in the early church. This was so good news. These people, this is exactly what they were hoping for, and they knew they needed. God's love was being poured upon them when he gave them the church. Number three, it's God's bride rejoicing. Church is not an event you attend. I need to continue to remind myself of that too. Church is not just an event you attend. And it's not an event you attend that better be good or I'm not coming back. Man, that's, a, that's something that's true today. Instead, the church is an opportunity for you to worship together with your brothers and sisters. Church is a place for you to gather together and praise the one who adopted you out of death and gave you life. One time a week where those who have been redeemed rejoice. That's why we sing so much. That's why we're a singing church, because we rejoice. And I rejoice that I'm no longer a slave to sin, but forgiven by the blood of the Lamb. That's why we pick the songs we we do. Because that's what we glory in, the cross, in the gospel. Church is not a cool event. And if it's not cool enough, I'm going to go find a cooler one. And it's an opportunity for you to praise your Father. One thing we know that is true about all people is they will be very inconvenienced, gather in large groups, and even endure rough circumstances if they find something worth enduring those things for. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever put yourself in an environment like that? I'm willing to go to that event. That's huge crowds. It's going to be really hot. Lollapalooza. That's awesome. It's going to be a blast, right? People are willing to endure weird circumstances if they can find something worth enduring it for. In just a few short months, over 80,000 people will attend Green Bay Packers games in order to praise their team, no matter the circumstances or even the expenses. You've seen those fools who are sitting in the snow, right? It's just snowing like crazy, and they're loving every second of it. Their beard's frozen, their snot's all frozen, and they're just loving it. Their wife hates them, and they're just loving life. This is the best. Awesome. And they're a family. Have you ever seen, like, videos of that? They're not sad, right? They're loving it. The guy does the Lambo leap, and they're all going crazy. There's shirtless people there. Like, what's going on? It's negative 20. They're loving it. Why? Because they found something worth praising, and so they're willing to endure rough circumstances for that. But Christians, we're weak. The moment the air conditioning's not on, we quit. Church may not be as entertaining as Lambeau, but you are for sure praising someone who deserves it a whole lot more. Someone who has done a whole lot more for you than a couple football players will ever do for you. Isn't that worth gathering for? Isn't that make church valuable and worth it? Because of the one who's done something great for you? But here's the reality. The moment I forget this, the moment you forget this, you'll walk away from it as well. 
The moment we forget what we do when we attend church, we will no doubt question its importance. What did I say at the beginning? It's weak ecclesiology. The moment you forget what the church is, you'll walk away from it. Because doctrine leads to practice. If I have shallow, weak doctrine, I will quit practicing. That just makes sense. That's how we work. So we need to continue to remind you, this is not an event, this is this. God's plan unfolding, his love outpouring, and his bride rejoicing. So you're rejoicing today that your sins have been forgiven, that you have been bought by the blood of the Lamb. Colossians 3.16 reads this way. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That's what church is. God, thank you. Man, you've been so good and so kind to me. Thank you for loving a sinner like me. That's a cause to rejoice and to gather. Because the church is these three things, we respond by faithfully gathering together. That's, that's worth being a part of. Those are so good news that I'm willing to do that, to be a part of that. And we gather for two reasons. Number one, to remember and celebrate the gospel. That's what we're doing right now. We're remembering and celebrating the gospel. And then two, you gather together to live in community. And it's hard to live in community on Sunday morning. Can I be honest with you? We show up usually on time, grab a cup of coffee, get in here. The moment the service is over, you got dinner maybe getting ready. Or It's hard. You know where we live in community? In our lighthouses. It's where community happens. It's, it's, it can happen on Sunday morning. It's just tough. It happens a whole lot better in lighthouses. And that's what you need. You need the elect exiles to gather together and to share life with one another. That's why we gather. All right, when the local church gathers, here's what it must do. Christ's church must follow Christ's orders, not invent its own. I've kind of wrestled with this. this is, I've, I've been a youth pastor for 13 years, and I've served in three churches, and those three churches have all been a little bit different. Different denominations, different pragmatism, different things like that. And I've kind of wrestled with that. Like, what is it about the church? Like, what are the things the church must do? Each church looks a little bit different, depending on who's in charge of it and who comes. And all churches look a little bit different. But what are those things the church must do or it's not a church? Let me give you a couple of them. This is why I think God gave us the books from the book of Acts all the way through Revelation. Do you notice they're all about the church? Starting in Acts all the way through, it's about the church. How the church should work and how it shouldn't work. And it's to help us know exactly that, what we're supposed to do. And I think this question, what we're wrestling with right now, is what must the church do when it gathers? This might be one of the greatest trials the church is going through, at least in my lifetime, maybe even longer than that. Instead of being a faithful church, today's churches are trying to be relevant and creative and attractional and seeker-sensitive, etc. And all of those words aren't necessarily wrong, except when that word trumps faithful. Does that make sense? When we become relevant more than we are faithful, when we become attractional more than we are faithful, that's the problem. And I think that's the greatest issue the church is facing 
today. So what must a local church do? I have three things. Number one, a local church must be organized. This is our offices. This is the roles we have within inside the church. Every single one of you fits into one of these three roles. You ready? Number one, we have elders. Number two, we have deacons. And three, we have members. Number one, elders. Elders are the spiritual overseers of the church. They're the preachers. They're the ones who shepherd. They're the ones who look after our theology and doctrine, make sure we're not straying. It's a board. It's a group. It's not one man. It's a group of people who keep us on task, keep us straight. Our deacons. Our deacons lead and organize the serving inside of the church. That's their role, to help us serve well. And then the third role are members. The body of Christ, each member with a different gift, serving Christ by using them. So think about those three roles, elder, deacon, member. Which one are you? Are you one of those three? Um, I think in the last 30 years, we've created a fourth category, which doesn't exist, and it's called the attender. And we've kind of acted like that's a thing. And the attender is somebody who shows up and enjoys and leaves. And that's not a category. And to this morning, we had an opportunity in the 830 service to introduce five new members to First Family Church. If you're not a member today, I'm not saying you're living in sin because that's, sometimes that's on us. It's on the leadership. We're not working the process quickly enough and you're kind of stuck in limbo. But those are the three roles of the church. I, I view the attender as kind of like my friends in high school who love to eat dinner with us but would never mow the lawn or help with the, the yard work on Saturday morning, right? Be a member. You've been given gifts. You have faith in Christ. He has equipped you. This was Todd's message last week. He has equipped you with gifts and abilities to serve. Get to work. This is our role. The church is good enough to give your life to it. Second one, it's organized. The second thing the church is, is it's faithful. These are the ordinances. Something we must do is baptism and communion. Those are things we must do. Demands from God. Great commission. Go into all the world, baptizing them. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. When Christ, the Last Supper, uh, sat his disciples down, he said, you will remember, every time you gather, you will remember my body and my blood, which was shed for you, which was broken for you. Do this every time you gather. These are things that are non-negotiables. Sometimes we look at these things like, oh, don't they just take up time? No, these are our orders. This is what we've been told to do. Biblical churches baptize and do communion. It's things we must do. And lastly, we must stay true. We must teach sound doctrine. Did you know this? Todd has to teach solid theology. Has to. He's tasked with that. He must. And the elder board, it's our job to hold him accountable and check that. And make sure he's giving you sound doctrine and teaching. He can't create his own. He can't come up with his own series on other theologies, I believe. And he can't shift them and change them. And I don't really like this theology. This one's a little abrasive. This one's a little closed-minded. So I'm going to shift my theology a little bit and teach it a little bit softer. Todd doesn't have that freedom. It's not a church if he does that. We've been given our orders from God to do the church like he created it. 
Romans 16, 17 says this, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been been taught to avoid them. Look at that list right there. That's what you look for in a church. And when you find a church that does those things, devote your life to it. Give your gifts and abilities to it. Give your time and your money to it. Stick with that church. Be faithful to that church. That church needs you as much as you need it. If you're attending a church that doesn't do those three things, leave. If your church isn't a faithful church, but it's an attractional church, leave. That's the commands. That's the orders. That's what the church is supposed to do. So finally, we'll wrap this up. What is the church supposed to do? We're going to change the definition of church here for a second. Now we're talking about the people. What are the people, the church? We understand the church is in the building. It's the body of Christ. What is every person supposed to do? Sometimes I think when we think about this question, like what is the church supposed to do? You instantly think of the staff. Like, yeah, what is the youth pastor supposed to do? Good question. What does Todd do all week long? That's, I'm glad you're addressing this. That's not what we mean. We're talking about the church, the body of Christ, the people. What do we do, us included? What are we supposed to be doing? Is it just gathering? Is that, what the, is that where the bar is? Hour and a half every Sunday. No, that's not where the bar is. What must the church do? What do I do? For this, we'll turn to the famous passage of your Bibles, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 to 20. You know this, the Great Commission. It's where we get our marching orders. This is what we're told what to do. And in these two verses, I think, are three demands, three imperatives. I'll read it for you. You know it. It says this, Go therefore, and whenever we see a therefore, we check why it's therefore. And it says, Based upon all that Christ has done for you, based upon his love, based upon the gospel, based upon his substitutionary death on the cross in your place, go. That's where the Great Commission is. Based upon all that he has done for you, the love and the mercy he has poured out upon you, here's the implications. Here's the command. Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In, those, in that two verses are several commands that we're going to look at. What must we do all the time? Church, what should we always be doing? You ready? Number one, three things that church always does is number one, obey. Let's not skip to the, practi- the super practical, exciting ones. Let's look at all of them in the passage. Number one, obey. We, the redeemed sinners, obey our king's commands. That's what we're always doing every day, all the time. We're obeying our king's commands. Now, I, un- I know that this doesn't mean that I will always obey. I'm a sinner but it means that I always strive to obey. I know what my marching orders are. I know what the claim is on my life. I know what I've been told to do. I'm always striving to obey. That is what is true of me and you. We're always striving to obey. Now that I have been saved, I now strive to obey God with my life. That's what the church does. We obey our king. This church should be filled with members 
who strive to obey and people who are constantly repenting when they fail. Does that make sense? We're always striving, trying to obey, live for God. When we get off course, it's the body of Christ which sees this and notices this and helps us see blind spots in our life. They correct us, tell us we're wrong. We repent and we continue to strive to obey. That's what the Christian life looks like. Now, we're very proud people. None of us like to be told we're wrong or we're off or we're not doing right or that's not true. None of us like that. And, but we need the body of Christ and we need to humbly submit to correction and training in righteousness. So when there is error in our life and false living in our life, we humbly repent and continue to strive to obey. 1 Corinthians 6 says this, You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God with your bodies. Because he's bought you, live for him. He did everything for you. You should do everything for him. Romans 12, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, because he's been so merciful to you, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God's been so merciful to you. He has bought you back. He's brought you to life. He's redeemed you. He's given you life. Now be a living sacrifice. Live for him. Obey. This is why church membership, hold on, is such a big deal. Church membership. Our members promise us that you, that they will strive to obey. They promise you and us that they will strive to obey. When they aren't, and we know about it, we call them to repentance. Church membership, that's what we do. That's why we do this. They, when we call them to repentance, they humbly repent and continue to grow. That's what church membership is. That's our job. That's the elder's job. When we see error, when we see false living, it's our job to correct. It's every individual's job to repent and continue to grow. That's very controversial today. Number one, obey. Number two, go. This is the idea of gathering and scattering. Our job is to gather, to remember, to worship, and then to, ga- then to scatter. We don't stay here. This has been the strategy since the church began in Acts chapter 2. Christ told the disciples in Acts 1.8, You will be my witnesses here, Jerusalem, Ankeny, and to even the outermost parts of the world. Christ knew and the disciples knew that the world is desperate for the gospel. For the sake of the world, all of us must leave our church gatherings and go and proclaim. The strategy to getting the gospel to everyone is the going. Church is not supposed to be a commune. We didn't set up beds and apartments here. We gather and scatter for the sake of the gospel. And some of us need to consider going far. All of us go. Ankeny High School, right? All of us, John Deere, all of us go. Some of you need to consider going far for the sake of the gospel. And lastly, proclaim. Proclaim that sharing the gospel of Jesus. Did you know that's the goal? Just want to remind you of this simple truth real quick. The proclamation of the gospel is the goal. The going isn't the goal. The going is the strategy 
to get the gospel there. Does that make sense? Sometimes I think we just say, make sure you're going. We all vacation. That's not success. It's the proclamation of the gospel that's success. If we truly believe that people are living without God and the punishment for that is facing his wrath for all eternity and the only cure is faith in his son, Jesus Christ, then the goal is that all will hear and believe. And they can't hear and believe unless someone tells them. Romans 10 gives us the paradigm for that. That's our pattern. Understand the gospel. Live in active obedience. Go and proclaim. You see, what Christ has done for us is such good news. The gospel is such amazing truth. The cross is so good news. It is transforming us into people who obey, go, and proclaim this good news. Proclaiming's tough. It's scary. But the gospel's working inside of you, creating in you a passion to be a proclaimer. That's what it does. Good news bubbles up. We all love to talk. We all love to share good news. The good news of the gospel is creating in you a passion to be a proclaimer. It is. It will. That's what it does. Keep digging deep. Keep understanding it and loving the gospel more. And it will do that in you. So what is the church? About 10, 12 years ago, I stumbled upon this and it's just been kind of my mantra for my life. What is the church about? It's about three words. Gospel, community, and mission. When I came to this church and they built the youth room, uh, they let me kind of design and stuff, and I put gospel, community, mission in the largest font we could on the wall. And I don't even think the teenagers notice it, but it's really for me. Every time I walk into that youth room, I'm confronted with my mission, what I'm about. And it's such a good refocuser for me. When I walk into that room with my games and my activities and my trial of humor, I'm reminded of what I'm really there for. These kids desperately need the gospel. They desperately need to live in community. And they need to be focused and know what God's mission is for their lives. And it's such a good refocus for me. That's what the church is. It's about the gospel. It's about community, about mission. It's the going that's the hard part. I understand that. And that looks different for every single one of us. So when we give you that order to go, that could be a really difficult thing to wrestle with because not all of us are meant to go to the ends of the world. We're all meant to go somewhere. You all do go somewhere. You all go somewhere right after I'm done. But some of us need to go far. And there's some in our congregation that are doing this exact thing. What's it look like for me to go? For a lot of us, that's Ankeny or your city that you live in, for a lot of us. For some of us, it means to go to the ends of the world. Um, our take-home truth today is this. The church is God's family that celebrates the gospel, grows in community, and serves the mission. Are you doing that? Is that true of your life? I have three final questions I want you to wrestle with as you leave today, things that you can wrestle with as you go. Number one, what priority does the church have in my life? Do you prioritize the hearing of the gospel and living in community every single week? And if yes, then the next question is, then what lighthouse are you going to join this fall so that you can live in community? Number two, are you a baptized member of First Family Church who lives a life that strives to obey God? What's the next spiritual step you need to take in order to walk with God? Is it baptism? Is it membership? Is it serving 
or is it going? And the last question, where are you going this week? You're all going somewhere, work, school. Are you ready to proclaim this week? That's the harder question. The going isn't the obedience, it's the proclaiming that we have been tasked with. If you don't feel adequate to proclaim, what do you need to do to get prepared to proclaim? Do you need to read books about evangelism? Go with somebody who's good at it? Continue to better understand the gospel and let it saturate your heart. That's what the church is. It's the body of Christ coming together to worship, to celebrate the gospel, to live in community because we desperately need each other, and then to send to the ends of the world with the good news of the gospel on our lips. Let me pray.